Welcome everybody to another episode of the Headhunter Hideout. It's your host Joel here. If you can, let me know if you're out there. I know if you're out there, right, feel free to comment. Tell us where you are based. I'm super excited today. We have uh, just another what I would consider just high quality, high level guest and um, another member from MRI as well. I know we've had uh, quite a few leaders from that organization. So super excited. Today we have Sharon Holsey. And for anyone who doesn't know Sharon, maybe you've seen some of her other podcasts that she's been on. Um, but she is a Forbes bestselling author. Uh, she's a TEDx speaker. And most importantly, she's an agency owner and leader in the recruitment space, a top biller, still runs a desk, still runs an agency, uh, and, and really has just been massively successful with um, long-term relationships within her space. And the best part of all, she is from and based, well, I don't know if you're from, but you're based in uh, Wisconsin. So always awesome to have a fellow uh, Wisconsin Knight. I think that's the right way to say it. So welcome, Sharon. Great to have you here. Thank you, Joel. Glad to be here. Well, why don't, why don't we get started? I, I'd love to, um, I always ask this question, and I, it might get repetitive, so maybe I'll switch it up, but why don't you give us like a high-level overview of your background, how you got started in the, uh, the agency world and the recruitment space, and we'll go from there. So it, it's kind of a, I'll give you the abbreviated version, because the, the real version is long, but uh, <laughs> I was a national recruiter for a women's clothing company out of North Carolina, and I loved my job. Um, the only thing that that got tiresome is I traveled Monday through Friday. So I would get on a plane on Monday, come back on Friday. Well, fast forward, I had done that for about nine years. Um, I was on a plane from St. Louis going into O'Hare. And, you know, the plane doesn't land, doesn't land. And I'm going, OK, I fly enough to know it. this isn't quite right. Well, it was very short. They found our landing gear back where we took off in St. Louis. So we did the whole belly landing, the whole thing. And why I tell that story is. I knew at that moment that I was always going to be a nervous flyer. And here I have a job where every day I'm getting on a plane. So I made the decision that I had to find something else to do. And there's an exercise in the book that I actually took myself through. What are all the things I really, really love to do? And then what are the things that just sort of naturally come easy for me? What are my natural skills? Yeah. And I put those two together and I realized that the thing I loved about my last position was the ability to recruit and bring in some really, really engaging, interesting people. And I loved the whole dynamic of talking to smart people. So I figured out and and actually, you know, hindsight being what it is, Cook Associates had actually made me an offer to try to recruit me several years before that. And I said, no, just because uh, my then husband um, didn't want to move to Chicago. So all things being what it is, I think I was destined to be in this business. It just took me a little bit to get here. Now, did so? Did you have an under like a pretty good understanding of the industry before you got in, or was it? Did you, I mean, did you know what you were getting into? I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. So what I would tell you is, I thought I did, and I didn't have a clue. I mean, and I think everybody who's honest about getting in this business would tell you the same thing. You yeah. know, I I knew that my job would be to call people and talk to them about potential opportunities. What I didn't really understand is. You know, kind of, I've always said this is the easiest job I've ever had and the hardest job I've ever had all in one. Sure. What I do on a daily basis, talking to people, engaging, finding out about their lives, all that, best job ever, and it's easy. But the, the art of getting active job orders, building strong, building strong client base, uh, building a name within your industry, all of that, 
Um, that's all taken. I mean, this is my 25 year anniversary of doing this. And I would just say, I'm still, thank you. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what makes somebody really, really amazing in this business. But um, longevity does help you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work for you personally. Yep. Yep. So, okay. So 25 years ago, is that when you started the industry? Uh, sorry, you started the agency, or how how did how did no, that come about? I started um, in an MRI office, yeah, um, in Appleton, and I mean, I literally after my flight opened up the yellow pages. For those of you who have been in an industry as long as me, we didn't have the internet, so I opened up the yellow pages and I saw management recruiting Appleton. It was the only name that were, was recognizable to me, so I literally yeah. picked up the phone and cold called my what would become my new boss. Um, so I. I went from zero to successful overnight. Now I tell everybody I was very lucky. It was not based solely on skill. Probably yeah. my willingness to, to flirt and have fun with guys and you know all of that in construction was awesome. But um, I I got into the industry when it's pretty hot. Ninety six was a good year in construction. So that coupled with the fact that you know I wasn't scared to call anybody. I always had a, a joke of the day. I mean my personality fit that industry. I went from, um, I started June 2nd, by December 30th, I had built 507, which wow. I thought was normal. I found out later on that that was like, rarely do people do that. But I thought that was just what you did. And I figured out I was pretty good at it and stayed in it. Um, my boss was going to retire after nine years. I tried to buy the office from him. Um, hindsight being what it is, I, I think he didn't really want to sell it maybe to a woman at that time. Um, sure. So he kept the office open. I was going to not violate my non-compete, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, for those within MRI, they all know Gary Williams. When I resigned, Gary Williams picked up the phone and literally said, you're not leaving MRI. And I said, well, good luck with that because I am. And he said, I'm going to ask Russ to sell you your desk. And he did. So awesome. that's why I ended up staying within the network. I love it. I love it. Well, okay. I mean, there's so, there's so much here. I feel like there's a million different directions I, I can go in. Uh, right now, I, I know you touched upon it. You've written uh, a, a book, and uh, I again, I th I just heard, I just actually listened to a couple podcasts you you've been on, so I I've got a decent um, understanding about the book. But what um, what inspired you to do that, and why wh why the topic as well? Because I, I think the topic, I mean, right now, particularly in the time of uh, history that we're in. Uh, you know, we've we've got this news around the big, the great resignation, right? I'm seeing right. articles about that, and there's a lot of people that are thinking about pivoting and looking at different, um, I guess, focuses for their career. So your book, I, I think, is just massively timely. Right. Uh, but what inspired you to 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 write that? And um, why don't you give us just a, a little background on the book as well for those that are interested? Sure. So it's kind of twofold, I would say. First of all, it was my own life. Um, I've been in this business 25 years, as I said, and at various points, um, this business can get really monotonous because uh, placement is a placement is a placement. Yeah. Uh, and I'll get to a point where I want to like try to reinvent myself and I'll, I'll do things that maybe other people aren't doing, um, not only just to be a thought leader, but but for my own sanity on keeping things fresh and alive and fun so I don't get stale and, and I'm not effective anymore on a desk. So part of it was I went through a period of time where I'm like, either I have to reinvent myself in this business or I need to quit one or yep. the other. So that kind of started it. But then there's this common theme, right? Of people come to see you and because I'm um, the firm is well known within the Wisconsin market. A lot of people secretly come see me and say, okay, 
I'm really good at what I do and I make good money and I don't love it anymore. And I don't know what mm. to do about that piece of it because I don't, you know, I don't want to see myself doing this for 15 more years and to be dying on the vine just because I'm making decent money because I'm not passionate about it. Yeah. So the book was designed to take people and part of its laziness of saying the same thing over and over again for so many years. It's like, here, read this. Uh, but it's, it's taking people through the process of that place where you're like, if I don't reinvent myself, I am not going to be happy and I'm going to be going insane because I'm so far away from what it is I loved initially through the whole thought process of everything from retirement and benefits and how it impacts your family to what is it that would really speak to your heart? And is there a way to have that happen within the organization you're in? Maybe it's recreating yourself or do you really have to leave and start over? As we know, people are always the most marketable in the world of which they've always lived. So if you yeah. can reinvent yourself within that world, it's better than if you have to leave. So the book is designed to take people through that process from start to finish. By the time they're done, they at least have clarity around which it is. Is it going independent? Is it starting their own company? Is it trying to reinvent themselves within their organization? Or do they really need to go out and do a search for something that would speak to their heart that's completely different? What are, what are some examples of reinventing yourself? Because I know you, you mentioned that. Like, what are some personal examples in your own career where, you, where you're like, um, okay, I got to a point and I need to re reinvent. I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. So I would say, you know, becoming an agency owner, you know, spoke to some of that. But uh, probably the biggest things are things that we've done within, the, within uh, ERG. So we've done, for example, we just hired a new one that, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to constantly be thinking about how do we stay relevant. Um, DE&I is very uh, predominant right now, obviously, um, with everything that's going on in our world. It's, and for me, it's not just, I think the lens on that is I need to hire to a certain race. I need to hire to a certain sexual orientation. And I just think it's so much deeper than that. For me, it's not about just that. It's about bringing people in who have diverse thinking so yeah. that they bring in, I mean, it can even be people who just don't match your background, but they they bring in a new lens of a way to think of things. And that's where innovation and creativity begins. So I'm always thinking about what is it that we can do as a search firm that keeps us on top of what will make people feel like there is um, a place for them. They have a place of belonging and that we're the firm that's going to not just got a guy, want a guy, but we're going to really dig into what is it that speaks to their soul? What's their purpose? And then what are their natural gifts? And then figure out how to make them um, slot into a place where that fits. So that, you know, when I, when I started and Joel, you'll appreciate this coming from the industry. When I started, it was all contingent, Got yeah. a guy, want a guy, three candidates, three companies, and that's how you ran. And I hated it. And I made yeah. a ton of money and I hated it because it felt so transactional. I never knew where the person was going to sit. I didn't yeah. know the team they were going to engage with. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, and now is it all, all your work is retained, right? It's All our work is retained and I do the front side. So I travel a fair amount now because if no matter where our client is at, we, we especially in construction, we work all over the country. I get on a plane and I want to understand the strategic plan of that company. How does this hire impact that plan? What kind of issues, challenges, or problems is that is this candidate going to be trying to help them solve? And what innovation or creativity do they need to bring? And then I put all that together and then we put together our retained search and our plan for finding just that right person. So 
it's a lot longer process and and um it just it works so much better for me because and and also for our team because we we really care about not just filling a spot but finding something that does speak to everybody's uh, life goals and heart do you um you know what what advice would you give to to recruiters who are out there who are looking to go from contingent to retain like how how did you when when i mean obviously you've gone into that a little bit um yeah. you weren't happy with how th- things were but what's some of that advice the advice that you have from making that switch and how do you um anything are there any industries that you think potentially that contingent is is actually still a better option or, or how, how would you weigh that out what advice oh, would sure. you, have? you know I, I look at like it sales there's certainly industries where speed to hire is um, unless you can garner all their business, speed to hire is always the win, right? So those would be industries that would be harder to be um, fully engaged or fully uh, retained. You could be engaged, maybe have some money down. Um, for me, though, I, I I just, I drew a line in the sand and I said, I have done this for nine years and I've stood on a lot of stages and I'm not going to work for free anymore. And mm-hmm. that was a personal, you know what? I'm just done working for free, doing the long search finding great candidates and they change their mind for whatever reason and they have the right to do that. But I just decided, you know, I've got to get to a point where what we do adds more value so that if they're investing in us, we invest back on them. So I made that decision as soon as I started ERG. And the scary part about it is, so I started ERG August 16th and I've got this pretty big customer base because I bought my desk now. And so I got to keep all my old customers. I got a pretty big customer base. And my top three customers said to me when I said, I'm as employment resource group, I'm going to be a fully retained firm. They went, yeah, we don't work that way. And I go, well, here's the thing. You change your value <laughs> on me multiple times. I'm changing yeah. my on you. If you decide you are okay, ultimately down the road, if you're not seeing what you want, then come back to me. Otherwise we'll just have to, you know, be willing to part ways. And this is how I work is how I tell everybody and and it's not to be a jerk about it, but if I am going to go all in and I'm going to do everything we do for our clients from videos on their story to, I mean, we, we go to such extremes to make sure that we get it right. If we're going to do that, we want to know that, that they're invested as well. Yeah. Bottom line is they end up paying the exact same amount of money, but they just get a lot more value add um, doing it this way. What are some what are some of those ways that you're adding value as well? I know you mentioned that a couple of times. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to um, and and by the way, I'm a massive fan of that, and I think that's how you go from transactional to um, relationship and consultant advisor. And we hear that thrown around a lot, but a lot of times, like, how do you get to that point? It's absolutely about at having added value. So, um, I, how has that shifted? How has that changed? And, and what does that look like for you uh, right now? Yeah. So there's a lot of touch points, Joel, that I think that that happens. So it starts with our willingness to go out and visit with the client up front before we have signed anything. I mean, I don't take a job order over the phone anymore. I go out, I understand, I want to meet with the full leadership team. I want to understand where they're taking the business. I want to understand all those parts and pieces. Um, it's rare that we don't end up with the search, but on occasion, I've invested the money and we don't. And, and again, that's that's my decision to want to get into um, their organization and see how how that um, organization ticks. I've always said and you and that's your so you invest in I do. traveling out there. Yep. 
I do. I love that. And I, wow. and I, a lot of times I'll take my recruiter with me. If it looks like, you know, we know we're going to get the search. I'll take them along so they can see it as well. The things that recruiters miss that are most important are pace of work, how people engage with each other. Those are the things you can't get over the phone. You yeah. only get those by watching people uh, live. And then from there, um, it's our process. We have a very tight process. Every candidate gets two interviews. We call it the good cop interview and bad cop interview. So the recruiters do the good cop interview, get them excited about the opportunity. Then they come to me. <laughs> I'm a little harder interviewer, I will admit. Um, so cool. if they get past me, I choose all the short lists. So if they get past me, they're strong candidates. We know we've got our winner in there. Um, yeah. We take them through every part of the next step. So everything from, and we'll, We'll do taping while we're down visiting the client on their story. So we have that we can put out um, on their information. We, um, you know, I'll, I'll actually write questions for them. If they're not great interviewers, I'll make sure that, that they have a scorecard if they need it so they can score the candidates. If there's going to be multiple people in the room um, evaluating candidates, I mean, every step we have planned out and we put the, put the search together based on what we observe their level is of interview savvy or not. Uh, strategic know-how not and then we just help them on every step including offer counter offer and all the other stuff that's happening today so i'd love to know too when you know when you're meeting because i mean that again i don't typically uh hear like yeah i want to go out and meet with the, the clients face to face it seems like uh, there's a there's always a love affair with doing as much as you could possibly do on the phone uh what what's the response like like when you have a kickoff like that how you know what's the response and then how does that impact once you start to submit candidates what's the so, you know how, what's the difference with that, that yeah we don't we don't really i mean we do submit candidates but we do it all at once so so um i have never if somebody has um and again we don't do a lot of cold calling anymore when you've been in an industry as long as we have a lot of people seek us out and we've got a lot of networks that kind of sing our praises because um, within like EOS, for example, that entrepreneurial operating system, that network, they know we're an EOS company. They know we understand what that means. And for organizations that are in the EOS, we're highly referred. So that's great. Um, yeah. What I do is I go out and I show them exactly how we're going to do a search soup to nuts. I take an actual copy of our presentation and then um, we do all the interviewing, second interviewing, put together a pretty extensive packet on each candidate. And then I go back and present that live. And and I guess the point I was I was just trying to get at in terms of, um, you know, let's say you're a contingent recruiter that's just flinging resumes, for lack of a better word. Uh, one of the big things that we hear is, you know, it's a challenge to get kind of that trust and that buy-in on those candidates that you're sending over. Um, you know, so it, would you say that meet, having your process meeting them face-to-face, -face, there's just that trust. So they're not, I mean, do, do you ever get pushback on candidates that you send over? What, what, no. Yeah, yeah. We're recruiters. Absolutely. I mean, everything that happens to a contingent recruiter happens in retained. That part is no different. And if they tell you it's different, they're lying. I think the reality is where the trust is built, is do you know your craft and do you know the issues and challenges of, of sitting at the level that we work? So the, the CEO, the vice president, the chief operating officer, CFO, when you listen to them, are, are, can you really engage them in conversation 
to get past the superficial stuff they want to tell you and really get into the business and the core of the business, the life cycle of business, where it's going and, and how, how can you help them through people to stay relevant? So um, that is a skill that's learned over time, right? You get better and better at it the more you do it. Um, when I first started, for anybody who's newer in the industry, I had a cheat sheet. And that cheat sheet had all my great questions that I had figured out or heard along the way. And if if I got stuck through my conversation, I just looked down at my sheet and I go, so let's talk about your industry in the next three to five years. Where do you see the industry trending in the next three to five years? So it would give me a question while I was trying to think of others, right? Now, after 25 years, I probably annoy the heck out of people because I just, I mean, yeah. it, right? It just kind of rolls. And it's hard for my team to train them because, you know, yeah. I've got to stop and remember sometimes what it's like to be new. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Headhunter Hideout. Are you looking to unlock the potential of your staffing firm? That's where our sponsors, Volcanic, can definitely help. They lead the way in creating high-performing websites for the recruiting and staffing industry. Websites that make you look great, powered by a fully secure SaaS platform that's integrated with market-leading ATS and job board multi-posters. Amplify your online presence through a world-class content management system, Google for jobs, optimized job posting, SEO tools, and outstanding reporting capabilities. Get more candidates, attract more clients, build your brand. The possibilities with a recruitment website powered by Volcanic are endless. For more information, go to www.volcanic.com backslash Hoxo. Enjoy the rest of this week's episode. Well, I was going to ask too. So you mentioned, um, you, and this was before we, we went live, you mentioned that you were hiring for your team. So, yeah. um, you know, again, what this is, this is an issue which I see within the recruitment industry. It's a massive uh, struggle, and that's to bring in, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, if you hire a big biller, that's, that's different, but hiring entry level people and ensuring that they're successful, that they're doing well, it's a massive challenge for pretty much every owner that I talk to. So when you bring someone new in, uh, what are some of the things that you do to ensure that they're on the right track? And um, and then what are some of those differences from like when you started to now and like how have you adapted, you know, throughout time that to, to make sure that people are coming into the industry? Well, I would tell you, I see both of it as, as an advantage and disadvantage. When I started, we had no internet, we had MRIware for anybody who knows MRI. Oh my God, what a great CRM. And uh, we had phone books from every, every market we worked in. And that's what we worked off of. And, and what I tell everyone is it taught me how to do recruiting the right way, which is getting on the phone and engaging with people and figuring out to, how to get them to sort of bear their soul as quickly as possible through trust. So I learned in a time where you had to be good at it. And, and, and I, I'm still not always good at it, but I'm, I'm pretty good at quickly getting people on the phone and getting them engaged. Um, today, what we do is, you know, so much of our organization, and we've gone through highs and lows, we are at the absolute high of our culture right now. Um, we do a ton of, of, you know, people work side by side with other people. Most of the people we're bringing on now are, are entry level recruiters that work with a team, teammate. So that's nice. But it also really revolves around all the stuff we do for the team. I mean, we have Office Olympics every Thursday at four o'clock where we kick off. We have a cocktail or a soda 
and we play a game for you an had hour. me a cocktail yeah right i know <laughs> we are from wisconsin i mean we, we <laughs> drink our beer here so i mean but it's awesome because we built this camaraderie so that if if a teammate if they see a teammate falling behind yeah they grab them and pick them up and pull them i don't have to do that anymore which is yeah. the best place to be in yeah no i i love that and i think that it, I mean, obviously the recruitment world, I mean, it can be a really cutthroat world as well. So I think as much collaboration and having that team spirit, it's, it's, it's massive. Um, obviously the phone is, that, that's how we build trust or Zoom meetings, I guess. Uh, but it's those, the live conversations is how we build the most trust with people. Um, you know, one of the things that, that comes up a lot is, you know, how do you get people on on the phone? And it seems like, you know, things like cold calling, which you mentioned before, you don't do a lot of. How how have you strategically built your brand uh, to that point? Like, what are some of the things that you've done? Because um, you've got a really strong brand. You've obviously got the book and you've got good social presence. There's a lot of things you've got going for you. Like, how have you invested that over the years? And where do you see that going in the future for recruiters that are coming into the industry? Yeah, I so I, I don't use the... Uh, I've always looked at the phone is I get the opportunity to meet some really interesting people. I don't look at it the opposite where, Oh my God, I got to make a call. So I never, uh, it's, and it's not that I don't have days where I don't really feel like engaging on the phone, but the reality is um, that is the quickest way for me to get to find the right people for my organizations. And if I firmly believe in what it is that I have to sell the opening, it makes it easier to do that. Having said that, everybody's got to work to their own personality and strengths. I'm a, world's biggest goofball. Anybody who knows me knows that I have a wicked dry sense of humor. And I I always had a good dirty joke or two ready for the construction guys. Um, you know, I'm I'm I never pick up the phone and say, hey, how are you doing? I go, you never call, you never write. I've been here. Where have you been all my life? We need to talk. So it's that kind of stuff that people just sort of laugh at me because I am absolutely the world's biggest dork. But for me it works because I'm in an industry that um you know they get heavy all day long right you know they're they have bosses barking at them and clients barking at them super stressful yeah very stressful so you have somebody like me who just sort of makes it fun that's what's important so what about with the you know people that are, that are coming in uh to the to the uh the agency in terms of that outreach are you, is are you still like hey let's cold call or do you have outbound uh, or like what's, yeah. what does the outbound strategy look like so we put together um and again it, you know depending on the level depends on what they do i will tell you right now i'm gonna grab this we're reading this book which is one of the best books for our industry it's fanatical prospecting awesome. it's a fabulous book it talks about all the excuses that we uh, make as young recruiters and how the boss is saying, no, you have to do this. No, you have to do this. And he's going, they're telling you that for a reason. The phone is your best prospecting tool. So if you don't use the phone, you're not going to be prospecting. Even if you're emailing or texting, it's still that that tool that they're using for you to be connected on. So uh, it's a great book for, for brand new recruiters and established recruiters. So I would definitely recommend that. I think the other thing too is, is get to a point where you have a voice. So you have to stylistically get from, hi, my name is Sharon Hulse. Um, I'm a recruiter at Employment Resource Group and I'm working on a position and I'd love to have an opportunity to talk to you about it. How are you doing today? So, you know, defense mechanism comes up, you sound like everybody else. 
stylistically got to figure out a way that you don't sound like every other recruiter out there. And that's what we work on. I don't want to be a recruiter. We, you know, we basically, I hate the term headhunter, hate that term. Um, I want people to- You want the headhunter hideout. You no, I don't. That. <laughs> that's okay, Joel. I like you. But <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, okay, give this horrible image of the transactional piece of our business, right? And, and for me, it's like, listen, if I can help you, whether it's today or five years from now, let's just have a conversation and we'll stay in touch. If if this isn't right timing, if what I'm offering isn't right, no harm, no foul. There's there's nothing bad about getting to know each other and understanding what uh, a relationship with each other could look like, whether it's today or 10 years from now. I mean, some of my largest placements I've ever made have been people that I haven't talked to in 10 years. And all of a sudden they go, you know, I, I just got to the point where I was thinking about making a move. And I remember the conversation we had and I decided to give you a call. That's crazy. Yeah. It is. It's, but that's part of being an old dog in the in the in this world too. <laughs> no, I, I and I think um, it's it's. You bring up a great point, though. I mean, I, I love the idea of finding, you know, like kind of your own voice within within what you're doing. It sounds like humor and and those types of things and understanding. I think it's understanding like the the lives that your prospects actually have or you, the candidates that you're going after. Like, what does their day to day look like? And if right. you can create like a pet and interrupt that's interesting or it's fun, it's something different. Uh, that's, that's massive. Um, what, you know, when you're hiring people, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the traits now that you're looking for? You know, cause I, I just think that at least from conversations I've had, um, you know, from other agency owners and, and just knowing like the entry level candidate of today might, you know, might look different that's obviously same, some of the same attributes, but for you, like what are, what are some of those attributes that you look for and, and what do you think has gotten you through some of the ups and downs, obviously the recessions, you just had a right. pandemic that we're still going through. What are some of those things that you look for past, um, you know, past maybe some of those just outward characteristics? Like what, what are some of the things that you're looking for for people that, that you think yeah. makes them successful? So, um, so I love Patrick Lencioni and I do like the ideal team player, which is hungry, humble, smart. Because if you look at our industry, you have to be hungry. You have to um, have that desire, that passion to get through the tough stuff. And, and I would say this is a business where mental toughness is significant. So do you, think, do you think that's getting harder than to find people with that mental toughness? Um, I would say it's different. Um, generationally, that changes. I don't, I don't, I've gotten to a point where I don't expect um, people to stylistically have the same type of mental toughness as me, but but still demonstrate it just in a different way. And that the thing that helps that is having a 21 year old daughter who's in college. <laughs> she, she moves my lens all the time on me on what what I should be thinking. Has she but, got you on TikTok yet? She's amazing. She's doing. She's gonna be. She might not get in this business ever, but she will be great at whatever she does because she's oh, got okay. her mom's drive. Um, so hungry, humble, smart, humble. Um, the thing that I talk about a lot is I've watched a lot of people in this business become so full of themselves and so cocky that they actually burn themselves out and people don't want to deal with them and they're out. Or they get so full of themselves and full of pride that they forget what made them successful in the first place, mm -hmm. which is doing the things we have to do when we have to do them. So, um, and then smart, obviously being able to have an engaging conversation, um, being a um, great open-ended 
asking open-ended questions, having it not be your agenda, but their agenda, and really having a sincere interest in other people. Those three things, I think, if you have those, the rest are easily trainable. I would tell you the one thing that I know has been a, one of my natural gifts that has really helped me in this business is intuition. Uh, my sister, I says I had my farmer father's intuition. And I would tell you, it's probably right because I I don't know what it is, but I can just talk to somebody and say, it looks like a rat, smells like a rat. I think there's a rat in there. And sure enough, I'll figure it out. And there usually is one. There's there's something about that person that they're either fabulous interviewers, but but not as engaging as they say they are, not as successful, et cetera, et cetera. So intuition has also played a role. But, you know, again, a lot of the, if you got the core values and the core fundamentals, the rest is hire for attitude, train for skill. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I wanted to take a moment to introduce my sponsor, Huxo Media are the world's leading content marketing agency for the recruitment industry. They're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies that includes 3000 recruitment consultants across the world. They help them build LinkedIn brands that open up more opportunities by following a proven methodology daily. In 2021, the hugely successful Huxo Academy is changing. They have launched an eight-week personal brand program, which you can roll out across your whole business. The Academy is aimed at helping traditional recruiters that rely on outbound calls to attract candidates and clients. Those who often lack the knowledge of how to use LinkedIn for anything other than posting jobs and in-mails. They struggle with both the ideas and the confidence when it comes to producing relevant content. Post-COVID-19, we all know that the world is truly digital. The modern recruiter needs to have a unique and consistent LinkedIn presence that offers value to their community and drives opportunities inbound. The Huxo Academy helps every recruiter in your agency achieve this in eight weeks, enrolling a new cohort of training at the start of each calendar month. For the first 50 customers of 2021, they are offering you the chance to enroll unlimited users onto the program for 12 months at no extra cost. So you have 50 or 500 consultants now, or you plan to hire more throughout the year, you can rest assured that they will get all the training they need to build a brand that wins business on LinkedIn. Please click the link attached to this episode or DM me on LinkedIn to find out how your agency can join the program. If you've been in this academy, please add in some information about your experience. We'd love to hear from you and why you chose to partner with us as you truly believe in the impact it can have in the way that modern recruiters work. Who uh, who's inspired you, like throughout your recruiting career? Like who who's been, or has that been, um, like one one person that you've really looked at uh, within the industry, and you've gone, you know, I, I want to model uh, the way that I do things after this person. Is, is there someone like that that you can can point out? Well, I would say so. I'm in Pinnacle Society, and pin, the the Pinnacle Society as a group is all that. So the average tenure of a Pinnacle Society member is 24 years in this industry. And all of them, other than the emeritus, are running a desk. So they're long tenured. They understand the value of being an advisor versus transaction. Um, so I learn something from those people every time I'm talking to them, which is fabulous. Um, in, in the beginning, I did have a CSAM mentor. So um, MRI has a CSAM program and I had a CSAM mentor and that was Todd Dawson. So stylistically, we are very different, but he he set me up for success because he he made me 
be relentless to the metrics. And I'm not a metrics person. I hate the metrics, quite frankly. But he made me like I didn't leave till I had to send out every day. He said, I send out a day. You will make money in this business. So it wasn't long after I started that that was my goal. And I had one goal and that was to book an interview every single day. Mm -hmm. So that was 20 a month. You get your booking 20 interviews a month as a sole desk person. You've got a pretty robust desk going. Um, and it took time to get there. But I'll tell you what, staying true to that and having him drill that into me for the first year I was in this business was probably the biggest gift I received. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, I, I definitely advise anyone who is out there. Uh, I'm going to I'm pretty sure I tagged you on, on this event, but if, if you're not tagged, uh, I'll make sure that people can find you as well. I think uh, are there are there any resources that you have that the uh, newer recruiters can download or, or follow? Any do you have anything like that available? There's a ton of information out there, um, especially if you. And probably the thing that I've done the most speaking on that is on YouTube is going from a contingent desk to retain because yeah. I worked a contingent desk solely for nine years and then flipped that desk to a fully retained desk. So um, I know the aches and pains and, and the heartburn that it takes to do that. I also give some really good tips on here's some things that you can do that will help you to, to delineate that process and make it not be so painful. I, and I think, I mean, it seems like right now would be a great time to do that. I mean, I've, I've seen uh, in, in a time where a lot, I mean, it seems like everybody's hiring. I mean, every everybody's recruitment hiring. firm, everyone is hiring. I mean, now is a great time to look at those clients that, um, other ones that you want to double down on. And those can be great clients, especially right now, because it's hard. I mean, I'm shocked when I talk to someone right now and, and they say that they don't have job orders they're working on. It's like in six months, it's just completely flipped it, you know, flipped. Right. And um, so I think in times like this, it's, you know, now is a great time to be able to do it, but it's getting that value proposition down. It's understanding and almost, it's almost seeing your own value. It sounds like you had a switch, you know, a flip of the switch where it's like, okay, I want to get paid for my time because my time is valuable right. but then also figuring out if that's if if we're going to go that direction you've got to come up with ways that you can provide added value and be and be a true value value giver so um so that that's on your your youtube channel you said it is it is there's Perfect. an video that i did in mri that talks a lot about that um, the biggest thing about re retained, if you're going to go retained, if people want to do that is it is you're all in, meaning you don't get to go. I don't like this search. So I'm gonna quit. And yeah. you don't, I mean, we, if we take it, we fill it. Yeah. I mean, and, and it is sometimes, excuse my friend, it's a bitch to get yeah. it because nobody gives you easy searches as a search firm. They hire you because their search is difficult, Yeah. Uh, but we're all in and we stay at it until we get it right. And what's, a, what's the longest search you've ever been on? How long was that? Probably a year. Oof, that was man. a while ago though. And it was a president search. Yeah. Um, unfortunately the first pass, the gentleman ended up turning it down and he had some characteristics that were unique to him and not the other candidates. So we actually did it again. Um, very successful. They become a very large client because that president now, you know, went through, the whole process with us understands the value we add from the perspective of a candidate as well as a client. Uh, so did it, did it pay off? Absolutely. I mean, well, it, the fact that you went a year, I mean that, right. that cause I mean, it's funny cause I, you know, I run a training and I always, it's one of the questions that um, we ask in just terms of like what content should you put out on LinkedIn? And one of the questions we, we say is, 
talk about like the hardest or longest search that you've had. And obviously, you know, the feedback is, well, we don't want to advertise. You know, it, it, it took a long time for a search. Say, no, that's exact. You want to show that, you know, you're not like the other, uh, you know, the 99% of recruiters that give up after two weeks because they, they don't have the result. Well, it, you know how to stay strong for the course. Uh, our, so. our average isn't a year, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'd probably be really poor and not in business if that was. I mean, you know, we tell them four to six weeks from the time we start to work shortlist. Yeah. Um, and and we work really hard to honor that. Now, do some take longer because, I mean, we're, we're not providing one candidate. We're providing five. So sometimes it takes longer. And some of that can be very, like this time of year. Everybody's on vacation. Everybody's yeah. got a lot of life going on. Um, employee candidates are very busy within their work life. So there's a lot of those dynamics that can push a, a search back a little bit, but we also over communicate. So they know that we, we didn't take their money and run. We make sure that they know where we're at, what we're doing, how we're working on it, how we're, how it's going. So, um, you know, and they know that we're in it to win it. So. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, you know, I know we're, we're kind of coming up to time here and, uh, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for spending the last 40 minutes of your time. Uh, I, I just, any, anytime there's, there's someone that has your experience and knowledge, I know there's so much value that uh, listeners who aren't even out there right now, but as we you know record this for listeners that are out there, uh, you provided a ton of value and I really appreciate that. Uh, I'd love to just wrap up the show uh, and you've given a ton of this advice, but if there was um, like one thing or one point that you would um, encourage somebody who is potentially at that point where maybe they've just started in the industry and they're just reaching that point and asking that question, like, is this for me? Should I still be in this, in, in the industry? Um, like what would, what advice would you offer up and, and what would you just say to them just to uh, maybe just give them a fresh perspective? So I would always recommend somebody get a mentor, especially if you're, feeling challenged um, in the business because they're either going to help you stay in or stay, help you get out, right? So they're going to give you candid advice. They're going to help you to, to hone your craft, that sort of thing. Um, you have to be a student of the business and you have to be a student of your industry. So for me, I mean, literally when I started, the story of how I chose construction is quite a humorous one because remember, I worked for a women's clothing company, um, but I chose it because I thought I just want to work with men. You know, I was a lot younger back then. I thought this is, this will be much more fun. And I, I knew what a hammer was. And that's literally all I knew at that point. You know more than me. About construction, right? Exactly. So I became a huge student of the business. I asked a lot of questions of people who were fabulous to spend time with me and give me answers. So I understood the business. And I always say I could probably build a building at this point. It might not be the prettiest building, but I bet I could get it up and make it uh, have some layers because I've been in this industry for so long and it's just becoming that student of the business. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I three times in the first year, I almost quit. And I've built over $20 million to this point. So I'm kind of glad I didn't quit, but the reality is this is not a business for the, for the faint of heart, but it is also a business that not only can transform your own life, but transforms the lives of others every day. And when you finally get to the point where you realize what you do literally transforms whole families um, just through helping someone to find something that they on their own might not have been able to find. That's when all of a sudden you realize that what we do is pretty damn cool. I love it. I love it. And uh, 20 million. So that was a 
20 million just so everybody can uh, can hear that I, I just i love i love it when uh when i'm able to have just conversations with with people that have, have really executed um in the real world you know and, and you know what you're talking about so um look guys if you're out there if you're listening to this after the recording um i'm gonna drop the link to sharon's linkedin um link for her book as well um i think the book you know, if you're in a position where you are um, maybe feeling uninspired or you're thinking about even making a change, like this is a book that you need. Um, Sharon has tons of experience in just coaching people through this. She's gone through it herself. She's had to make changes in her life. So definitely uh, pick up a copy of the book as well. Um, again, Sharon, really appreciate your time. And um, for anyone who's out there listening, if you want to get in touch with Sharon, what is the best way, Sharon? How do you recommend that people get a hold so of you? Probably email is the best because I have my phone me all the time. It's Sharon with one R, S-H-A-R-O-N, yeah. at ergsearch.com. Awesome. We'll drop that. Uh, well, I'm not actually going to put that email uh, out there, but obviously if you're listening to it, you can take that, that down. But Sharon, again, appreciate it and uh, look forward to seeing what you accomplish as well. And uh, if you're looking for a position too, are you are you hiring remotely or is it within the Appleton area? Uh, we we like to have them in the office so we can cool. get them really ingrained into our culture because it's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, if you're in the Appleton area uh, and you you're potentially looking at something new and you're in the recruitment space, or even if you're you're not, um, get a hold of Sharon, find out about the position as well. Uh, great team that you want to be a part of. So thanks, Sharon. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll be able to do this again and. Uh, I'm going to end this broadcast.